The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz. Sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C. A program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all around the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert, where every week we try to cut through the noise and take on the issues, especially the public issues that matter to you, people of faith. We try to rely on the wisdom of the Word of God for the sake of the culture and the mission of the church, or as we like to say here at the LCRL, we're trying to put our temporal liberties to work for the sake of the eternal liberties of God for all. Today, we're going to talk again, we're going to talk about principles that guide the church and her people to engage the culture for the sake of the culture, as well as for the sake of the mission of the church. And we want to engage the culture um, without politicizing the gospel. And there's a lot of churches that that mix all this stuff up and wind up preaching policy as if it's uh, Jesus saving the world through government policy. And of course, that nonsense is bad politics, and it's it's obviously uh, not the gospel either. So the title of today's message is How to Talk Cultural, Moral, and Political Issues with Friends and Family and, and Others. Is it impossible? I would say no. And so again, we'll talk about things like what is the Christian view of politics? Should we t- treat politics more seriously, less seriously? Are there here I stand issues for our faith in the public square? Is there a better best way to speak about a lot of these issues without the anger and angst that's involved in such things today? So again, this very emotional stuff and, and there are minefields and people are losing family or friends and family over differences of policy. To me, this is the result of the politicization of virtually everything. And there's one side, there's a one side that is making politics out of every issue. And I would tell you that it's not us. Again, we're not here to politicize things. We're actually here to take politics out of most issues so that we can go back to a dialoguing across the fence with our friends and neighbors. And this whole notion of politicizing everything, it's been going on for quite a while. And there's a there, there's a way that that one side, and I would call them the the secular Puritan, secular uh, Pietist, progressive side of things. I don't like the word progressive because it implies that they're moving forward. I think they're moving backward. Anytime humanity is deconstructed to be mere animals again and not human beings created in God's image, we're moving backwards. But again, this this it's it's a phrase called delegitimation, deconstruction, demonization. It's been going on, especially since 1968. And you can watch this. There's a great documentary called the the Best of Enemies, and it's talking about Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley. And one Vidal's he was not the bright one. He was not the learned one. That was Buckley. So this notion that conservatives are not educated, it's silly. Vidal was the provocateur. And basically, he decided he was going to call Buckley names. That was what he's going to do. And he was going to do it in, in this, this, the most egregious fashion possible and finally get him to lose his ability to dialogue. And, and so I think we're at the moment of full flower of that methodology. And it was one side versus the other. And one side did it and the other side didn't. 
And so all traditional views of life, Bible-based, Christian-based, they're all illegitimate. They're all made fun of. They're all delegitimized. And it's the whole point is, is that for some reason, we don't hold the, the name callers accountable. Now, before we get into that, I'm just going to tell you, you got to understand that things are a bit stacked against the traditional biblical moral positions. Even if they're right, wholesome, sociologically defensible, uh, the libertine secular progressive pietist movement has redefined language, reframed the debates, and basically ridiculed any moral pushback. That's why I love the pro-life movement. I don't know if you come to the March for Life. Uh, this year was an incredible time, 50 years after Roe v. Wade. Uh, it was overturned. I'll talk about that a little bit in just a minute. But man, what a great movement. 50 years of trying to take the language back. Pro-life is pro-science. Pro-life is pro-woman. Pro-life is pro-family. Pro-life is pro-child. Pro-life is, you know, is a beautiful, beautiful thing, even for those with whom we disagree. And they literally reframed the debate in reverse. We got to do a lot more of that kind of work. So uh, now that we understand that, the, the first thing, if we're going to start talking about these things, we just got to ask, am I talking with a Christian or a non-Christian? Because there are foundational uh, things that we share uh, you know, you're with people, Christians and non, but you, you at least want to know, do we have some common ground here? Now, let me just say this. In, in these issues that we're going to talk about, these are God's preserving work. This not his, this is his moral work in the world, not his saving work by grace through faith in Christ. And so there are moral foundations that we share even with other religious and philosophical traditions because God's moral truths are written in nature itself. You know, that's one of the reasons why there's this thing called the natural law tradition. If you have common ground about these moral limitations on human behavior, uh, if you have common ground about what the role of government can and cannot do, you're going to find that you, you can actually share some things. Even if you disagree with some strategies or you disagree with some some particulars of a policy or not, you can actually share a lot of common ground and you can have uh, healthy discussions about these things. But number one, I think this is where you got to start putting your two kingdom view of things to work because God is the one who, you know, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. So he differentiates God's work through Caesar. And by the way, Caesar wasn't doing any of his saving work. It was merely his coercive, civilizing work, even though Caesar probably wasn't all that civilized himself. Um, God still through Caesar was keeping the bad guys afraid and keeping the good guys relatively free. And that's major, basically Caesar's work. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and I would say give only uh, to Caesar, or give to Caesar what is only Caesar's, and then uh, give to God what is God's. America is the first culture that made the citizen Caesar. Wow, that's a whole nother discussion for us. But put differentiate God's preserving and his saving work. God preserves the world through the outward manifestation of his law, through things like good government, through things like family, through things like virtuous education, that kind of stuff doesn't save us, but it prevents us from being even worse than we can possibly be. And that's the discussion we're having today. This is We're not talking about God's saving work. We're talking about God's preserving work. Um, one of the ways I teach this, we have these things called uh, mom and pop papers. And one of our mom, and, and it's 500 words. You can go on our website, lcrlfreedom.org, and look up mom and pop papers. And one of them is, is called WWJD or WWFD. You know, what would Jesus do? Is that the kind of question we ask of Caesar's work? No. 
And, you know, what would Jesus do? Turn the other cheek. What would Jesus do? Um, tell us to serve without measure. That's, that's what we do when we're trying to share the saving work of Christ into people's lives. When we're talking about Caesar's work or God's work through Caesar or through, you know, good law, um, we ask, what would the Father want us to, to do? And the Father is the one who creates and orders the world, and the Father is the one who actually, you know, delivers to us the Ten Commandments and things like that. So the question is, what would the Father have us do to order this world, to keep it civil, so that we can hear of his saving work through his Son, Jesus Christ, alone? We call that dynamic differentiation. So we're not afraid of these issues. We jump in, but we make sure we're differentiating. Uh, are we asking the, you know, is this God's preserving work we're talking about? Well, then we want to ask, what would the Father have us do? We want to talk about God's moral teachings, uh, because those will be the things that guide us into whether this is a, uh, proper, just, law or a proper discussion for the sake of the civilizing of our society. Uh, that dynamic differentiation, we're asking what's the state's role in enforcing laws as, as a good referee so that we can still pursue in freedom a virtuous life in service to our neighbor uncoerced. You know, again, one of the ways we do this, we jump in. And the first thing we ask is, are we doing this for the sake of others? And, and I think that's the case. You know, even in these discussions, if you're having them, um, are you actually doing this for the sake of the person that you're talking to? Uh, when we were at the Dobbs case uh, decision, and I talked about this, you know, many times before, but, you know, we, we were confronted by, uh, these vitriolic people. And there was this guy, he was representing the Democrats for life. Uh, there's 20 million pro-life Democrats. I hope you know that. And so we fight for them too on the Hill. And he was getting just, you know, obliterated by the, this crowd because they were vitriolic and because um, Roe v. Wade had just been overturned. And so finally, they, you know, I just said to, and I was there kind of trying to undergird and defend him a little bit. And I just looked at the people that were kind of yelling at us and said, do you know why we're here? And they said, you know, you're here to rub our noses in it. I said, no, we're not. I said, we're here for you. Why do you think we'd be putting up with this abuse? I said, listen to what these politicians are saying. They're saying that the state has a right to say to certain lives, you're not worth living again, and then gives people the coercive power undergirded by the state to eliminate those lives. Now, we're talking about the unborn here, but very soon it could be the just-born people or the deformed-born people or the older people who don't have value in society. And those days are coming if you actually give the government the right to define a life that's not worth living. And I said, your life is worth living, whether they say so or not. And we're here to defend that for you too. And they couldn't believe that that's why we were there. And I said, your life has purpose, your life has meaning, and they can never legislate that out of existence. But it, it eventually can degenerate into all of this. And that's what we saw in Nazi Germany when they started to say, these lives are not worth living and the state can do whatever they want to them. And we say, we're against all of that. That's what the sacredness of life is all about. And that means your life has purpose, no matter what they say. And it was interesting to hear them say, we, we used to believe that we just didn't think you could anymore. So even though it's stacked against us, uh, the, the culture stuff is stacked against us. We should always be ready to speak the truth, God's, especially God's moral truth in love. Okay. With genuine concern. Secondly, if you're speaking, um, to people about some of these moral, cultural, and even political issues, focus, focus on values and moral principles. 
uh, then policies and platforms. Avoid personality because that's where a lot of this stuff degenerates and that's where the emotion gets in and people start taking, you know, pot shots at one another. And, and again, that does nothing for us. Talk about policies, platforms, and whether that's good government. Then talk about your personal responsibility one to another because that's where the real, uh, the real saving work can happen. Um, remember the limitation of what government can and cannot do. Because really, our perspective is to seek to empower people, families, and businesses, and to protect churches, and not to empower government in a lot of those areas. That's our main role in this place, is to depoliticize, to get the the state out of some of these things that they have no business being a part of. Um, Remember again, that phrase, good politics can't save us, but bad politics can destroy us. And so that's where we've also got to know the, the cultural context of today's issues because people are, are, the battlefield now is, is at the language. Uh, you know, basically what secular progressives have done since, um, Foucault is to say, you know, whoever defines the language wins the argument. And that's absolutely true. That's one of the reasons why on the Hill we signed this document once that when, whenever we're talking about issues between uh, men and women, you know, we always use male, female. We do not use heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual. We don't use any of that language because those are all cultural constructs that actually obfuscate. Well, the Bible uses language like male, female, healthy male to male, healthy male to female, healthy female to female, healthy, you know, father, mother, child, all that stuff. That's how we talk. And we had people sign that document. We had Christians sign it. We had atheists sign it. We had people of other religious traditions sign it because there's a lot of people say we don't want to give up that language when we talk about these issues. That's a big issue today. Because once you lose the language or they compel you to say what you know in your heart is not true, then the debate is over and you're coerced into silence. So, again, you know, uh, the the issue for me is that uh, Robert Reich, former Labor Secretary of Bill Clinton, he talked about the true battle of the 21st century. And I don't want to read the whole quote, but at the very end of his quote, he said, terrorism will disrupt and destroy lives, but it's not the greatest danger we face. And what he was saying is that the church, the pre-modern church is the greatest danger to the modern society. I think he's absolutely wrong. And he doesn't even understand how the biblical worldview is undergirding the very freedoms that he, that that he thinks he's espousing. But again, he, he's taking the language. He's changing the language. He's, he's putting an us versus them in this discussion when we don't do that. And he's using, using politics to actually silence one view versus the other. We're saying, nope, we're not going to let you silence her voice. So the battlefield has shifted. The rules have changed. Um, but again, you know, we're going to have to understand that, uh, the society cannot survive bad policy and it can not survive kind of the immorality of so much of our progressive legislation today. So, you know, again, we're going to have to deal with this in the context of the fact that, that there's, um, there's a lot of work to be done in, in making this a fair fight. Secular progressives have assumed that the battles are already won. They, they own so much of our levers of power and our, our institutions today. And whenever somebody argues with me about that, I just point out that out of the top 100 colleges, only one out of 100 had a conservative. And even that's in, in uh, quotation marks, commencement speaker, virtually or every other speaker was secular progressive or secular. Uh, and then in every, virtually every professor in political science departments, English departments, even history are now secular progressive. Hollywood is secular progressive. Major cities of America 
secular progressive universities. So again, in order to win this battle, we're going to have to realize that we're going to have to start taking ground little at a time. Just know that the battlefield is, is shifted, but focus on values, moral principles, and then policies and platforms. And then also demand that nuance be allowed. Make sure that it goes both ways. When you think about these things, uh, demand that, that nuance be allowed. And most issues for the church uh, in the public square are issues about the role of government and how it's actually getting too involved in these discussions. Even the Supreme Court issue, so many people think we were demanding that we have conservative justices. No, that's not true. We were just demanding that we have constitutional justices, people who stay in their lane and don't legislate from the bench. It's not their role. And so it was, again, it just showed how disingenuous the battle was when they said, oh, they want conservative justices. No, we want constitutional justices because we have limited power of the government by by putting three branches of government who are at basically battling each other for supremacy. That keeps them all in their lane and keeps your liberties protected from a a government that's out of control. That's what we voted for. And that's kind of our view on these things. And especially with the moral cultural issues, let the church be able to proclaim the whole counsel of God without fear of government coercion or invasion to the contrary. That's why we're here. And, you know, one of the things, too, if you do that, you're going to find out that there's there's only a few issues that rise to a thus saith the Lord for Caesar. Uh, I would say religious liberty is something we can defend for all people because if God um, wants us to come to him in freedom and truth, you would think that we would have to have that a similar relationship to the government should be in freedom and in truth. Okay. So again, this notion of freedom that we have enshrined in our constitution and our declaration of independence, I would argue that's a biblical idea that America got somewhat right. So in thinking about these things, that's why we can, you know, limit our discussion to uh, things like religious liberty because we can defend it for all. And that's what the government should be, the referees that keep it fair for all people. It shouldn't be picking winners and losers, and it definitely shouldn't be the players of the game. Then the sanctity of life, because what's the point if life is not treated as sacred? If you can start to dispense with certain human beings because they don't meet your uh, view of what human life or what life should be, well, then the whole process is polluted. And then we even put marriage as an institution um, that we should be able to defend that or proclaim that. But that's a religious liberty issue for us. Um, but right now, people are saying, if you have that view, we're going to legislate you out of business. Well, that's wrong. They shouldn't be able to do that. And then educational freedom. We should be able to educate our children virtuously. And so the whole notion of public education being secular, if that's where we're at now, then we should decentralize education and get rid of this nonsense of secular public education. And those are the four things we fight for on the Hill. So again, you know, those are some ways where you can actually have um, full-throated discussions about these things. Uh, but you can also, at the end of the day, um, love each other in Christ. And finally, if you've shared your perspective, then winsomely tried to show why it's good for you, you, not just for you, but for others, and you're faithful to God's view of things, and you still disagree, at least try to understand why you disagree. For instance, there are many people today trying to tear down our government and rebuild it. And you know why? I know why, because I've read pretty much everything they've written. They believe in the sinlessness and absolute capacity of humanity to solve its problems. They believe that only structures are evil and people are not. 
And they believe that the church and the family are part of evil structure that need to be dispensed with. That's why we're against Black Lives Matter. Why? It's not because they fight racial injustice. We do too. It's just that they do it by destroying the family. They do it by uh, empowering libertine sexuality. They do it by destroying the very structures that keep us civil and humane. You can't do that. Okay? The, so the people we often disagree with, they believe that government is the best arbiter for rights, that the government grants rights and grants the quality of life for all. That's false. Governments usually destroy all those things. The founding fathers knew that if you were created in the image of God, that was the sure defense against the government that sought to take it away. And so again, people who have those different views of things, those are two radically different views of humanity. Those are two radically different views of moral agency. And those are two radically different views of of a man's capacity to do what is ultimately right. And so, again, I think you can understand why you might disagree with people if they have those different fundamental views. But you're going to find out that there's a lot of people, even non-Christians, who have fundamental moral views that are in harmony with the Ten Commandments. They're in harmony with a lot of the, the, the views of both the dignity of humanity and the depravity of humanity, even if it's not expressed in a biblical Christian worldview perspective. And at least when it comes to God's preserving work, there can be a lot of common ground about what we can agree on, especially when it comes to what the government's supposed to do in our lives. So um, is there a Christian view of politics? Well, as long as you understand it's part of God's preserving work and it's not part of God's saving work. That, that's a, and that it's, it's limited role in our lives, supposed to be referee, not, you know, not, not the players of the game. And its basic role is that of justice. It's supposed to make sure the bad guys are scared and the good guys can live in peace. And, and so all just laws must have some reflection of biblical morality or they can't be just. There are some here I stand moments for issues of, uh, the, of believers, uh, in the public square, sanctity of life institution of marriage, religious liberty, educational freedom. We should be able to voice those those realities and, and try to get have our voice be reflected in the, the civil laws of our culture. In closing, too, I can just say, is there a better, best way to speak about moral, political, cultural issues without anger and angst? Again, do you really care about the people? Make sure that you care about the people you're talking to. That's the ultimate goal. You're not trying to just defend your position. You're trying to actually share God's word, God's law, and his gospel because you know God is the only one who can hold us together. God is the only one who can save our, our uh, us from ourselves, and, and government can't take that place. And God does things two different ways. He preserves and he saves. And so in God's preserving work, we just try to demonstrate that these principles, these moral principles are good uh, for all of us. And we try to speak about principles and policy and try to avoid personality as best that we can. And we try to hold our government accountable to First Amendment religious liberty stuff because honestly, the founding fathers and the people who started this country said that freedom of conscience is the best way to defend freedom uh, for everybody. So tough questions, um, but thoughtful answers bring real blessings. And I just pray God grant you wisdom to learn how to differentiate God's uh, work in the world. And especially when you're talking about politics and morality and culture, that's part of God's preserving work. And in that regard, the moral teachings of the Bible, you know, challenge us all. Um, but again, our, go- our goal is to try to make sure that we understand God's word that way and apply it to our own lives 
and especially to the best of our ability, um, make sure that our government honors those basic principles for us all. So again, this is this is our work on the Hill. You know, the LCRL. You can go to, and and our our whole goal is to actually keep politics in its proper place. To take politics out of most of these discussions, and to learn to differentiate God's preserving and saving work, and apply that preserving, saving work, and word to others to bless them. And so, to that end, God richly bless you. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRL DC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Contained there are resources to empower your public square dynamic discipleship. Or check out our weekly Word from the Center opinion piece every Friday at facebook.com forward slash lcrlfreedom. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Sells. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 